everybody, and welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. My name is Jeff. I'm half the show. The other part of the show joining us from the Pacific Northwest is, uh, as usual, Mark A. Johnson. Mark, how you doing? Yeah, hey, you know, it's starting to feel like autumn up here, man. It's like fall time, and, and that means playoffs are coming up. Yeah, and myself as an A's fan, I'm very excited for the playoffs. Very. You could, like, get some of your old Strat cards or maybe uh, MLB The Show and make yeah, Oakland well, really, really good. I just got the, the season four Ricky Henderson card on MLB The Show, so I'm uh, I'm going at it. There you go. <laughs> See, that that makes the season so much better. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm only five, uh, five more cards away from the 99 Nolan Ryan, too. So. Ooh. Oh, that'll that, be a good one. Throw those two guys on a team. But Mark, this is uh, show number 227, by the way, where we uh, we recap every baseball reference ever made in the entire run of the Marla Gibbs Jack Hay vehicle 227. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You, did you have you forgotten about 227? I had forgotten about 227, but man, I'll never forget it now. Yeah. That's my extension at work. So. Wow. If, if I'm friendly with somebody and I, I think they're of a certain age, I'll go, hey, you know, which was Jack A's <laughs> catchphrase. But, you know, uh, just for fun, I looked up uh, I looked up 227 before we started here, uh, ran for five, uh, five seasons. But what caught my eye was uh, one of the executive producers of the show, uh, somebody named Roy Campanella, Jr., <laughs> No kidding. Yes, and it is Roy Campanella Sr.'s, well, obviously it's his son, but uh, yeah, a little baseball tie to 227. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, he uh, apparently directed some episodes as well. Also directed some episodes of the Lou Grant spinoff from uh, Mary, what was the... uh, Mary Tyler Moore. Mary Tyler Moore, yeah. Yeah, really? Yeah, Uh, so interesting, didn't know that. There you go. Uh, in other news here, let's get into our BP segment and get started with some of this other news. Mark, uh, I don't want to say it was all us, but let's be honest. It probably was. The Immaculate Grid has announced you can now play old uh, old uh, grids. Yes, that's a beautiful thing. I'm very excited about that. I'm, I'm hoping that they do the same thing for women's basketball and yeah. uh, football. Because in your dreams. Those are, yeah, those are my two big ones that I do every day, but... Uh, you don't do high lie anymore. Oh, I do. I make my own because they won't make one. Oh, I see. Yeah. But anyway, uh, let's see. I had not heard this story before. I was watching another show and uh, on jumps uh, Yogi Berra's daughter. I, th- I think it's his daughter. Maybe it's his, her, his granddaughter. I don't know. But she runs the Yogi Berra Museum. And uh, this is this is something that happened in 2014 and I had never heard of it. But in 2014, the Yogi Berra Museum, which is housed at Montclair State University, was robbed. Over an estimated $1 million worth of memorabilia was taken, including 10 championship rings and two of Yogi Berra's MVP awards. The uniform and mitt he was wearing when he caught Don Larson's perfect game in the 1956 World Series and several game use bats from Berra, as well as other legends like Willie Mays and Stan Musial. Wow. That sucks. That's Uh, horrible. Yeah. Earlier this year, though, a gang of 10 were arrested after one was linked by blood left on shards of glass that they cut themselves on when they broke into the International Boxing Hall of Fame. (laughs) 
The Bear Museum and Boxing Hall of Fame, though, they were not the only museums that were hit during a 20-year stretch for these jerk-offs. They also nicked pricey horse racing trophies, as well as treasured artwork by Andy Warhol and Jackson Pollock. Another famous uh, piece of art that they stole that was estimated over half a million dollars, they destroyed when they were trying to get rid of evidence as the law closed in on them. What a bunch of schmucks. Yeah, overall, they stole roughly $4 million worth of artifacts and artwork, and uh, they hit museums to to do this. That's the good news. The bad news is that the rings and the trophies were melted down into little metal discs and bars and then sold in New York City for just a fraction of what they would have been worth had they been legitimately sold and, you know, Yogi had said sell these and these other things had been legitimately on the market. They would have been worth a lot of money, but they 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 melted them down. I I can't believe anyone would do something that incredibly stupid. Yeah, not to mention, I, I mean, it, they would have been impossible to fence. Uh, you, no, you know, yeah, you, of course. You got to have a certificate of authenticity for that kind of stuff. And obviously they wouldn't have had one. Uh, just, I mean, they're just historical artifacts too. I mean, they're irreplaceable. The Yankees actually did replace the rings that were stolen, but uh, they're not, they're not the originals. So sure. I mean. There's something to look at, but they're not the originals. Uh, I literally gasp when I heard about this. And then I literally gasp again out loud when I heard of the fate of those rings. That's just so disappointing. Apparently, though, the ringleader, the main guy here is still on the lam. They know who he is. They've got his name, picture out there. But uh, just that is disheartening. Uh, And, you know. We're not Yankee fans, but we're certainly baseball history fans. We love Yogi Berra, and my gosh, that's that's just too bad. I, I Whoever this this guy is, it's still yet to be caught. If if I may paraphrase Yogi Berra here, there ain't no way they ain't not going to get him. <laughs> well, his like I said, his name and his picture is out there, so hopefully they will they will get him and he will get what's coming to him. Well, Yogi won the the MVP in fifty one, fifty four, and fifty five. And you say two of them were stolen. Two of them, I, yeah. I happen to know where the other one is. It's uh, because when I was at the Hall of Fame, somebody was redoing the Yogi Berra section, and they placed his Hall of, uh, his MVP award up on a shelf. And I they weren't paying attention, so I went over and I picked it up, and I looked at it, and I put it back down. So really? that's where the other one is. Really, you put your hands on it. I I did. He had it just sitting there on a cart. Wow. Well, you know, I have uh, I have held Terry Pendleton's MVP award in my dirty little mitts as well, as well as uh, one of his silver slugger bats, which that is awesome. was pretty cool. It's a heavy bat, believe it or not, made out of sterling silver or whatever that game was. <laughs> right. Uh, let's see, Mark, uh, there's a name that's come up quite a bit on our podcast here. Uh, a, a very loyal listener that's been around for a long time, listened to all our shows and uh, frequently finds you. Not me. I'm I'm pretty much infallible here, but uh, we want to give a special shout out to longtime listener Marshall, who was uh, making a trip around the country. He's uh, visited a ton of ballparks and hit the West Coast uh, last week. 
made a stop in Seattle where you got to meet him for a little bit. And then he next day came down here to Oakland where I got to uh, sit with him for a ball game. And then the next day got on another plane and went to Arizona. So knocked off three more, three more parks on his, uh, on his list. But uh, it was a lot of fun to, to get to meet him. He's a big baseball fan. And uh, Marshall, we appreciate you uh, a listening to us, but also it was, it was really nice to meet you. So thanks for making the trip. We hope you had fun. Yeah, you know, what? Uh, we actually put up on the scoreboard uh, a message for him that said, uh, Two Strike Noise super fan, Marshall Merrins, and, and he didn't see it. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he told me. <laughs> but we, you got a picture of it, though, right? They take a picture of each of those. Somebody must have. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, I know the Mariners do. They've got a camera mounted so that they can show the people that paid for that, hey, we did this. So we need, we need to find to, that. I'll yeah. have to research yeah, uh, this is coming from uh, from me as an A's fan now, Mark. I am so gosh darn happy for Tampa Bay Rays fans. Why is uh, that? Well, because their stadium got approved. They're staying in Tampa. Very nice. Yeah, I am so excited. The city of St. Petersburg announced, well, I guess they're staying in St. Petersburg, but uh, they announced plans for a new $1.3 billion state-of-the-art ballpark that will sit on the current 86-acre site where Tropicana Field currently is. This new 30,000-seat stadium is set to open in 2028. We'll see if they can make that or not. But it sounds like it will be kind of like the the new Yankee, the new Comiskey or City Field. The new place will be built next door to the old place, which will still be used until this new joint is ready. But man, I, I you know, I felt a camaraderie for Rays fans in the last five to ten years and they they've gone through a lot of the same struggles. The 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 two franchises in the last decade decade and a half have really mirrored each other you know bad stadium low attendance because of that and and not spending money but still being able to compete yeah uh, you know i I'm, I'm just so excited for for rays fans and i'm jealous but you know i'm good for you guys and i'm glad to sh- you know that somebody's getting to keep their team Absolutely. Tampa Bay has uh, shown that they can support that team fully. And boy, once they get that new stadium, it's going to be a packed house every night. I hope so. I mean, they, they always got such good teams. And they do. Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I've been to, to the Trop and I love baseball stadiums. I really do. So I don't hate Tropicana. I did, you know, didn't enjoy a game as much because it, much like Oakland, it's there's not much atmosphere there especially when there's not a lot of people there but it's also so dark because it's a dome which you know when i went to the a's game and met marshall it was a nice sunny day so it's a little bit different but so excited for them congratulations go rays i'm very happy for everybody good news good news all right mark we're gonna do a a new little thing here in bp it's called remembering a game where we're gonna we're going to i don't know how often we're gonna do this but we're gonna remember a specific game that maybe you don't remember at all. Maybe you never even heard about. But uh, I want to go back to the uh, to 1993, September 18th, 1993, Red Sox Yankees. Because of course, I mean, is there any? Does anything go on in baseball that is not Red Sox and Yankees? I'm not sure. I don't think so. I know. So the Yankees trail the Blue Jays by three games with less than a month to go. So every game counts at this point. Uh, the Yankees trail the Red Sox 3-1. to one. We're in the bottom of the ninth inning at Old Yankee Stadium. There's two outs, nobody on base for the Bombers. Mike Gallego, despite de- being dissed by Ricky Henderson, 
couple of years before, does his best Ricky impression to get on base with two outs. Uh, here he gets hit by a pitch by former amphibious pitcher Greg Harris. Mike Stanley is then summoned to pinch hit as the tying run. And on the first pitch, this happens. And he hits this one, and this will not count. Timeout is called. That will not count because we have people running out of the stands and onto the field. That's a shame. Gives all baseball fans a bad taste right now. Butch Hobson is beside himself. That was a game-winning out and game-ending out, but before it happened, credit Tim Welke. He called timeout immediately when the Wackos ran on the field. There you could hear Bob Shepard in the background saying the game is not over. So it's a do-over because what Jim Cat calls the wackos who ran onto the field as the pitch was about to be delivered. Uh, Stanley popped that up to left field. Mike Greenwell made the catch, which, you know, if they hadn't run on the field would have been the end of the game. The Red Sox would have won. The Red Sox initially argued that Welke didn't call time until after Stanley had put the ball in play, but replays showed he clearly was raising his hands and calling for timeout before Harris started his delivery. So back to the plate goes Stanley, and what do you know? Hits a single to keep the inning going. Wade Boggs is next up. He chops an infield single, which scores one run. So now we've still got two outs, runners at second and third, and now it's Dion James' turn. Well, he drew a walk to load them. Uh, so that brings up none other than the hitman, Donnie Baseball, Mr. Sideburns himself. Mattingly, I thought I told you to trim those sideburns. Go home. You're off the team for good. Fine. Still, I can better than Steinbrenner. Well, he didn't. He didn't really get sent home. Uh, he, he took his at bat. Bases loaded down a run. Bottom of the ninth inning. Two outs. So there you go. The Red Sox thought they had a win, but uh, the Wackos kept them uh, kept them from doing it, and the Yankees come away. Now, listen, you expect Don Mattingly to win it, right, By if he's at the plate, simply by harnessing the power of his 80-grade mullet. But I was really rooting for a Deion James walk-off myself. Sure. I mean, Deion James. But the Red Sox protested the game, but get this, they waited until after the game, and that's not the way that protests work. You have to <laughs> protest right after whatever incident happened that you want to protest. So there was technically nothing for the league to review. Uh, many claimed that they had never seen anything like this before, but, I mean, really, it had literally happened two months earlier in July when Blue Jays' loogie thrower Roberto Alomar flew out to end the eighth inning of a 2-2 game against the Royals, but a fan, just like just happened here, it ran onto the field. The umpire had called timeout before the pitch. And in what can only be described as a glitch in the matrix, Alomar got a second chance single to extend the inning, leading to a 7-2 Blue Jays win. So, same thing. Uh, the two fans that ran on the field here at Yankee Stadium, they were attending the game with their church youth group. 
Somebody's not listening to some of those uh, Sunday school lessons, I guess. But after the game, unaware that the two had been arrested and taken out of the stadium and were going uh, to a police station to be booked, Mike Stanley was frantically trying to have somebody track them down to bring them into the clubhouse to celebrate with the team. Uh, None of this really (laughs) mattered, though. Neither team made the playoffs that year. So game didn't matter that much. But yeah, there you go. Uh, That's funny. I I'm not sure that I remember that game, but it was uh, it's certainly something that <laughs> sounds like the exact kind of thing we like. I mean, except for the yeah, Yankees that, winning. That's amazing. Yeah, I don't recall that. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, I I don't think either. I, I you know the Yankees were kind of in it, but the Red Sox were out of it. It was a national game, though. I mean, Greg Gumble and and Jim Cott were calling it, so I think it was on CBS even. All right, uh, Mark, this show was originally scheduled to debut on the 20th. I think it still will. It just might be, you know, at 11.58 p.m. on the 20th. But uh, we got a couple of debuts for today. First of all, in 1887, Patsy Tabot made his debut. We've talked about Patsy before. He's a hard-nosed, old-school guy who described baseball, in his own words, as needing to be played as a blood sport. So... (laughs) Uh, more likely where we've talked about him the most is he was the player manager for the Cleveland Spiders from 1889 through 1898 before moving to the St. Louis Perfectos. Now, if you've listened to this pod before, you know what that means, where <laughs> why he was not with the Spiders and why he was on St. Louis in 1899. Uh, and if you haven't, then you need to go back and listen to the Spiders episode and then you'll know. Uh, it's very interesting, yes. Very curious, though. Patsy was an infielder, but in 1896, he made his lone pitching performance for the Spiders. And all it says about his his, his stats for his one game that he appeared as a pitcher says one game, one game finished, one hit. That's it. So did (laughs) he come in to did he come in in relief with a runner on and give up a walk off hit to the one batter he faced? There's no game logs, no box score for this game, so I have, didn't list how many innings. No, so that would he threw a one hit shutout. That, <laughs> well, he he finished the game, so maybe it was uh, maybe maybe it could have been uh, a, a guy hits it to the outfield for a single and tries to stretch it into a double and gets thrown out, but that would be a third of an inning. So no, I believe he gave up a walk off. Why they would have brought him in, I don't know. But if anybody was at that game, let us know. Uh, he's also known for uh, for verbally abusing umpires and opposing players. After retiring from baseball, he ran a saloon in St. Louis. But uh, at one point in, eight, in 1918, his wife left him. And then he took his own life by shooting himself in the noggin. He left a note stating that he was, quote, unhappy and a miserable man, end quote. So Patsy Tabot, baseball's first emo player manager. Man, I guess so. Let's see. Also making his debut today, 1989, Ken Phelps. What the hell did you trade J.P. in the four? <laughs> he had 30 home runs over 100 RBIs last year. He's got a rocket for an arm. You don't know what the hell you're doing. <laughs> He was a good prospect, no question about it. But my baseball people love Ken Phelps' bat. They kept saying, Ken Phelps, Ken Phelps. Oh, there you go. 
let's see beyond the Seinfeld reference, which is, you know, it's a, it's a meme at this point. Uh, let's see. April 20th, 1990, Brian Holman of the Seattle Mariners. Perfect. Through eight yes. and two thirds innings. Yes, and, I, I was watching that game. I'll never forget it. <laughs> our second Mike Gallego reference of the uh, of, of batting practice. Mike Gallego is for some reason called back, and uh, Ken Phelps is sent up uh, to be the pinch hitter. What will happen? The pitch swung on and a fly ball belted deep to right. Caught onto the track. Fly away. The first pitch, a high fastball, and Kenny Phelps. Yeah, that was a that I remember watching that game. I was so excited that, that he was going to throw a perfecto, and then Ken Phelps had to go ruin everything. First pitch, didn't wait yep. around. I guess nope. he thought, "Hey, this guy's this guy wants to end this. I'm looking fastball first pitch, and he got it." Sat dead red and boom. Yeah. So Ken Phelps uh, did win a World Series. He was uh, part of the 1989 A's, where I feel pretty confident saying he was not an integral part of that team's success, though. He did make the postseason roster and got one at bat in both the ALCS and the World Series. Overall, he played for 11 years in the big league, six with the Mariners, two with the Royals, Yankees, and A's, and then one apiece with Cleveland and Montreal. And then our final... Our final debut for today, making his debut in 1998. We mentioned him last week, so we've got to mention him this week. It's Roy Halladay. Ah, so yes. He came up, uh, remember, in Wax Packs Heroes uh, last week, and it was not pretty. Uh, <laughs> because we were, uh, we were looking at cards from the 2000 season, in which Roy Halladay posted a war of negative 2.8. Yikes. So I said we were going to circle back and see if any other Hall of Famers had ever had a worse war season. So, uh, of course, we heard from our friends over at the 1988 Tops podcast. They informed us that uh, pitcher wise, both Bob Feller in 1952 and Jesse Burkett in 1890. Both had worse wars. Uh, Feller had a minus 2.9 and Burkett a minus 3.0. Wow. Yeah. Wasn't there a Jesse Burkett that pitched for the Giants in like the the late 80s? I thought that's who you were referring to at first. Yeah, because I put a filter on this stat head search for Hall of Fame equals yes. And Jesse Burkett came up and I said, that can't be right. Uh, some other close ones, position players, Ted Simmons in 1984 with the Brewers had a minus 2.6. Wow. More. And then get this, Craig Biggio in 2007 at the age of 41 had a minus 2.1. No kidding. Yeah. So, I mean, there are some guys on here with some big minus war numbers. I mean, Lou Brock, Reggie Jackson, Pudge. Uh, Harold oh. Baines, uh, Andre Dawson. I mean, there's some guys here that we love to talk about and are big fans of that had some really bad seasons. It happens to the best of them, I guess. Well, not all of them, but most of the best of them. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them here, it clearly was their last year. You know, they're just sure. kind of playing it out. I can I can do one more year and then, no, I can't. But there you, there you go. Those are the worst 
uh, war seasons by Hall of Famers. But getting back to Roy Halladay, he made 10 consecutive opening day starts from uh, between 2003 and 2012, pitched a perfect game on May 29th, 2010, and then followed that up as if that wasn't enough. In, uh, in a primetime game in the NLDS in October later that year, pitched a no-hitter. Wow. Remember, remember watching that specifically. I remember that just watching it going, there's no way he can do this in the playoffs, but he did it. Yep. Uh, November 7th, 2017. Uh, of course, we talked about this last week. He died in a plane crash when uh, the plane he was piloting crashed into the Gulf of Mexico. In 2019, he was inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, a couple of other notables that we're not going to go into, but I wanted to mention that made their debuts today. 1981, Gary Gaetti uh, made his uh, debut. In 1983, L. Sid, Sid Fernandez, made his debut. And then in 1992, J.T. Snow made his debut for the Angels. I'm, I'm wondering, Mark, how come the Angels have had so many guys with last names that are nouns? <laughs> that are good. I think I think that's one of their superstitions in Anaheim. That's how they draft people. You got trout, salmon, snow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they like to draft those nouns. Yeah, I guess. Well, I mean, it's I mean, except for the lack of World Series wins, uh, I mean, those players have certainly been good, but all right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for BP this week. And uh, let's get into the made segment of the show. And uh, Mark, I'm going to hand the reins over to you. Well, thanks, Jeff. I uh, was wondering um, if we were ever going to get to this point because it's been so exciting talking about all this other wonderful stuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah, hey, I wanted to talk a little bit about a guy named Jim Bunning. I'm sure you've heard of him. I have. I, I know. I know two facts about him. Uh, he threw a, I believe it was a perfect game, either a no-hitter or a perfect game, and he was a senator. Those are the only two things that I know about him. Well, those are accurate, so you know you're right on the money. So um, I'll tell you a little bit about, we're going to start back when he was in high school. He played football and basketball his freshman year, but he did not play baseball. His sophomore season, he decided to go out for the team, and he had a. they noticed he had a pretty darn good arm. And uh, so as a sophomore, he went 6-2. and two. A junior five and three in his senior year, he went one and five. He must have had a terrible team behind him because when he graduated in 1949, the Detroit Tigers were right there knocking on his door. So th this puzzled me. Uh, the guy was 12 and 10 in high school career, and here are the Tigers, and they want him bad. They want him so bad that uh, his family wanted him to finish college, uh, and the Tigers agreed that Mr. Jim Bunning could report for baseball after spring semester at Xavier University. So he actually missed spring training for the next three years after the Tigers signed him. They gave him a $4,000 signing bonus and 150 bucks a month. Isn't this adorable? He used his signing bonus to buy an engagement ring for his childhood sweetheart. <laughs> well, well, okay, let's see. How much were they paying him per month? 150 Okay, well, Aren't you supposed to, you're supposed to spend three months salary to buy that ring? Did he do That's, that? Yeah, well, he spent 30 months about, hmm, oh, maybe there were fewer diamonds back then. I, <laughs> well, there were no zirconias at that point, so yeah. Cubic zirconia, what I like to call the decaf of stones. Listen, there don't, 
diamond shame anybody, please. <laughs> the decaffeinated coffee of stones. Okay, so let's let's take a look. Okay, so his first year in the minors, he really started off well. He won his first five starts. Things were looking very up. Then he lost his next seven. And uh, he really enjoyed playing ball, but his family and he both really wanted him to finish school at Xavier. So he went back to Xavier University and he actually took on a bigger class uh, caseload so he could graduate sooner uh, and, and go to full-time baseball. Now I'm wondering, you know, the, the, my parents saying to me, what do you, what is your fallback? What are you going to, you know, if this doesn't work out for you, at least you'll have a college degree. Right. Well, I guess they were saying the same thing to him, even though he was uh, quite a promising player and had a nice signing bonus and so on. I don't know. They, uh, he took on more classes. And then uh, the second year in the minors, he played in Davenport, Iowa, in the Class B League, and pitched very well. Opened some eyes. He got married that winter. Well, she had a ring. Well, we know that he had the ring, and he had it for a while because he bought it back when they signed him. <laughs> uh, year three, he played for Class A Williamsport. He didn't do so well. He went five and nine, and decided they had, they had taught him to throw a more overhand style when he was used to pitching a three quarter sidearm. And they wanted to, they wanted him to use that for numerous reasons. One, they thought it would add to his velocity velocity. And two, uh, he was less likely to get hurt in their opinion. Uh, but he said, forget it. I can't pitch that way. And it, the, the three quarter sidearm style naturally more comfortable for him. And, and he started pitching better. Um, 53, he graduated from Xavier after three and a half years. So now to a guy like me that, you know, took his good five and a half years to get his four year degree, uh, three and a half years is pretty sweet. Nice job. I was having too much fun personally, but, uh, he knew how to study at least. And, uh, after he graduated, he went to AAA Buffalo and they had a pretty well-established veteran staff in Buffalo. So he wasn't getting a lot of innings. They sent him to double a little rock where he pitched like me and went five and 12 with a 4.56 ERA. Actually, I wouldn't have won five games. So yeah, I think your ERA would have been that uh, infinite sign. Yes. I I had, I had that ERA one year. Yeah. (laughs) After this very disappointing season, he thought about giving up baseball. Um, sat down and talked with his childhood sweetheart, which was now his wife. And they said, let's give it another year. So he went, uh, in 54 back to little rock and he went 13 and 11 with an ERA of 4.29. Well, apparently winning 13 games was enough for everybody because he decided he was going to still pursue baseball. And, uh, he went to spring training in 55, sent to Buffalo. Uh, and then he pitched well and was actually called up in 55 in July by the Tigers. And he started and relieved the rest of the season with Detroit. Uh, he had a three and five record and a 6.35 ERA. Now he packed up the family in the off season and went to Mexico to play in the Mexican league for a few months. He impressed with a nine and four record. Um, but in 1956, when he went to spring training, the poor guy still had options and other people didn't. They sent him down to AAA Charleston. If he had been out of options, he probably would have made the team, but uh, he didn't do well in Charleston. He went to nine and 11. The Tigers still loved him. They still called him up in July. And then in the bigs, explain this, he goes five and one with a 3.71 ERA. Much lighter uh, opponents, uh, lighter hitting in the big leagues, apparently. And and that offseason, 
he pitched in Havana, Cuba for the Marianao Tigers. Now, I, I'm not that familiar with uh, off-season American players playing in Cuba. I can't say that I am either. Okay, so 1957. Yes, we have traveled a few years already. Jim made the decision that if he didn't make the team this year, he would give up. Well, good news. He made the team and was assigned the second spot in the pitching rotation. So here he is, two spot. He's in the rotation. First time out, he gives up four straight hits in the first inning. And they took him out of the game and relegated him to the bullpen. So <laughs> it was the shortest stint as a starting pitcher in quite a while. Four batters. And that, it ended up being kind of a good thing is there was a lot of veterans in the bullpen. And he learned a lot from the pitching coaches and so on. And he developed a slider. And this slider made a big change in, in how he would approach batters uh, from then on he uh in may they gave him another chance to start he went out with his new slider and tossed a five hitter won the game against the red Sox. next inning he pitched amazing two only allowing one run in count him 13 innings they pulled him after 13 with the game tied at one all of a sudden he was a different pitcher with this new slider he was named to the all-star team and given the start at the all-star game and he sat down Nine straight batters, so good enough for him to get the win. He ended up 20-8 and eight that season. He was 15-8 and eight going into September and won five games in September. Four of them were starts, one in relief. So he had a really good year that year. 1958 wasn't quite as good. Uh, he was giving up a lot of home runs, and the other teams were accusing him of headhunting, throwing at them intentionally. He was just struggling with his control is what it looked like things turned around in july when he threw a no hitter against the red Sox, and he finished 14 and 12 that season with an area of 3.52 something pretty cool he did in 1959 he threw an immaculate inning he was only the fifth pitcher to accomplish that feat he led the league in strikeouts but gave up 37 home runs he gave up a lot of home runs because he was one of those guys that threw a lot of strikes so he continued to pitch well. Uh, 1964, him and the Tigers were kind of on the outs with each other. He was a union leader, and he was very outspoken, veteran. Uh, the Tigers were just thought he was a little too much for him. He was tired of the Tigers, too, so as expected, he was traded, and he went to the Phillies in a deal along with his catcher, Gus Triandos, for Don Demeter and pitcher Jack Hamilton. So, 64... It was, uh, he was nine and two with the all-star break and father's day came around in June. And this became the penultimate day in Bunning's career as he went out and tossed the fifth perfect game in major league history. And the first one since 1922, the first national league perfect game since 1880. So it was a pretty big deal. Um, and he became the toast of the town and, and everybody knew who Jim Bunning was at that point. By September of that year, the Phillies had a six-and-a-half game lead over the Mets, and Philly lost 10 straight games. Ten straight. Three losses were charged to Bunning. The Mets overtook the rest of the league and took the pennant by one game over both the Reds and the Phillies. Bunning spent three more years with the Phillies, going 55-38 and 38 during that time period. In 68, uh, he was dealt to the Pittsburgh Pirates, where he went 10-9, and nine. In 69, he went to the Dodgers but was released where he re-signed with the Phillies in the twilight of his career. 
His last two seasons going 15 and 27. For that, he retired and went on to become a manager in the Phillies minor league system, as well as for the Escogido Leones of the Dominican Winter League. And he managed and coached in the minors for them until 1976. And they let him go. He decided he was going to become an agent. And he actually went to his former players that he managed um, and asked them if, if they would like him to be their agent. And by 1977, he had over 30 clients in a very successful agency business and uh, was active in, uh, he lived in Fort Thomas, Kentucky, was active in uh, local politics and was elected to the city council. Then he ran for state senate in Kentucky and he won that too. And he decided to run for governor in 1983 and he lost. But uh, we all know so far that Jim Bunning didn't win everything. But it was a tough battle, but he didn't get it. In 1986, he went back to the big leagues, getting elected to the United States House of Representatives, where he served 12 years and then got elected as one of the two United States senators from Kentucky. He did not seek re-election in 2010. In 1996, he was elected to the Hall of Fame by the Veterans Committee. And in 2001, the Phillies retired his jersey, number 14. Mr. Bunning died at the age of 85, leaving not only a baseball legacy, but a huge family legacy as well with nine kids, 35 grandchildren, and seven great-grandchildren. Wow. There you go. Jim Bunning. I didn't know a whole lot about him. Found out he was a pretty interesting guy with a pretty unique career. So looking at his numbers here, he he was uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame through the Veterans Committee, which we know mm-hmm. is a is a you don't you don't get those top shelf Hall of Fame guys going in the Veterans Committee. Correct. Looking at his numbers overall, the seventeen years two twenty four and one eighty four win loss record, a three point two seven ERA. He appeared in five hundred and ninety one games, struck out two thousand eight hundred and fifty five. Walked 1,000 exactly and uh, had a ERA plus of 115 for his career. And overall for uh, war, we're looking at a 60.3. So he led the league several times in several categories, including uh, well, that 1957 season you mentioned, quite a year, 20 and 8 with a 2.69 ERA. Yeah. Led the league in innings pitched. Led the league in strikeouts three different times. Led the league in hit-by-pitches four different times, all in a row. And led the league in hits given up and home runs given up as well a couple of times. So what are your thoughts here? I mean, uh, he looks like a pretty borderline Hall of Famer, if if a Hall of Famer. Yeah, uh, in, in thinking about it, um, he did give up a lot of home runs in his career. Uh, just that was something that was mentioned over and over again. And, you know, he was just, he was the kind of pitcher that was always around the strike zone. Um, looking at the numbers, like you said, not a, not a huge, wow, this guy belongs in the hall. He better get their first ballot kind of thing. Um, but good numbers, very good numbers, 151 complete games, 40 shutouts. Um, he was an all-star, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times. And then, you know, the perfect game definitely adds to the mystery there. And uh, that to me, he makes a perfect um, committee election. You know what I mean? I, I'm going to go with the Hall of Very Good. Yeah. Uh, you know, looking at it, looking at his jaws for uh, a career war of uh, 59.4 through uh, through jaws as starting pitcher. Average Hall of Famer is a 73 
His peak seven year, though, is 48.9, and the average Hall of Famer is 49.9. So when mm. uh, when he was at his best, he was he was right there. But after that, I mean, there's there's no number here that really comes very close to being a Hall of Famer, but being very good. So, you know, again, that Hall of Very Good for for Jim Bunning. But hey, I like I said, I knew two things about him coming into uh coming into this. I guess I knew he was in the Hall of Fame, but uh now I know a lot more. Yeah, Jim Bunning. Interesting guy. No, you know anybody that told him he couldn't do something, he just didn't really like to listen to that. Yeah, my wife. Uh <laughs> Okay. All right. Uh, thank you very much. I can do that because she's not at home right now while we're recording. She doesn't but, listen to the show. And she's, yeah, this. she has not listened to a single show. Uh, we're at 227. Not a single one of them. Yeah, my wife neither. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you very much, Mark. That's Jim Bunning. Let's sure. uh, let's turn the page now and uh, let's head into the final segment of the show. It's a segment that uh, has been called excellent. It has been called the worst thing I've ever heard. And it's been called everything in between. It is time for Wax Packs Heroes. All right, Mark, we're doing something that has uh, historically been unpopular uh, in Wax Pack Zeros. Good for us. But we're going to do it anyway because I like to mix things up. And, you know, we can only pull the same cards so often. So what we're going to do is I've got a couple of packs of double A baseball cards from 1992. Beautiful. Now, the good thing about this is we should be able to go through these pretty quickly because if they did not make the big leagues, we don't really talk about them. But what we will do is uh, we'll pull these cards. And if they did make the big leagues, we will use their best season war wise. So if they made the bigs, we're going to get the best points that they could possibly provide. So see, I like this. I like when we do this. I do, too. We've gotten some some names of guys that have made the big leagues that uh, we had forgotten about and we're not pulling in these other packs. So uh, and plus, you know, we pay the bills around here. So uh, let's see. <laughs> there are a couple of rules besides going by the baseball reference war. Uh, I can't say of the year, but I'm just going to say the baseball reference war that they scored the highest. Uh, beyond that, anything on their face, that means glasses, a mustache, eye black. Uh, if they've got a nose ring, we've not run across that yet, but we might at some point. Heck, they could have a tattoo on their face like Mike Tyson. You know, all of this is an extra tenth of a point. If they've got a mustache, that's a tenth of a point. But if it is a really good like bushy, like Ned Flanders from the Simpsons type mustache. You can get even an extra bonus point on top of that. If they're wearing real strips where we can see the sanitaries underneath, that's an extra tenth. But two and ones are a minus tenth of a point. Awards, we're going to say in that season, when the, if they made the big leagues where they got their highest war, if they won any award like Rookie of the Year, Cy Young MVP, or as an All-Star or a Gold Glove, you get an extra half a point. If there's a Hall of Famer on this card, now I'm doubting that this is going to happen, but it could, uh, you're going to get a whole point of war. Now this one, I think we can pretty much scratch off here, Mark. If Ricky Henderson or Nolan Ryan appear on the card, <laughs> we're not worried about that for this one. Uh, if there is a pop culture reference that we can easily find about uh, whoever is on this card, you will get an extra tenth of a point. Or no, I'm sorry, that's uh, extra half a point. But if they appeared on an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, The Simpsons, or Seinfeld, that's a whole extra point. And uh, let's see, if they were 
suspended during their uh, career for uh, steroids or uh, PEDs or appeared in the Mitchell Report. That is a minus half a point. And Mark, we're also going to both pick a team. And uh, if they appeared in the big leagues for their highest war season, if they played for my team, uh, regardless of who's pack, I'm going to get a half a point. Your team, regardless of who's pack, you're going to get a half a point. So which team are you going to go with? This week, I think I'm going to go with the Phillies in uh, in honor of Jim Bunning, I assume. That's right. And uh, you know what I'm going to do, Mark, in honor of the uh, Tampa Bay Rays getting their new stadium. Gosh, darn, I'm so happy for those fans. Uh, I'm going to go with the Rays. Very nice. All right. So these cards are from 92. Uh, let's uh, let's get into it, Mark. I've got a pack in my left hand, a pack in my right hand. Which one would you like? Going right. Right. OK, I'm going to have you go first here. All right, Mark, so here we go. This could be quick. Uh, let's just, let's see what we got here. You are starting off with a guy, which I, he looks like he's a pitcher, but he says, it says he's an infielder. He's wearing an outfielder's glove with a batting glove underneath it. Uh, it is Mel Waring for the Hagerstown Suns, which is the uh, AAA, or AA affiliate of the Orioles. Mel Waring. Uh, if he was on the red carpet, he might be asked, who is Mel Waring? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can tell you right now, it does not look like he made the major leagues. No, it does not. Overall, it uh, looks like he spent six years in the minors, also played in the Mexican League uh, for a couple of seasons. And uh, yeah, he uh, appeared in Triple A for three years, but that is as high as he got. Let's see, in Rochester in 1993, uh, appeared in 112 games. That's the AAA affiliate for the uh, for the Orioles. He hit 235. He had 14 home runs, 61 RBI. So he had a little bit of power. But uh, after that, played a lot for the uh, Bridgeport Bluefish in the Atlantic League. That's an independent league for about 1998 through 2003. So uh, nothing's going to help you here, and nothing on this card is going to help you out either. I'm afraid. Uh, I'm not shocked. Yeah, like I said, this could uh, this could go pretty quick. Uh, next we have got for the Memphis chicks. It's not Bo Jackson. Uh, it is rich Tunson. The, uh, Royals were still the chicks affiliate at this point. And, uh, I have not heard of, uh, Mr. Tunson, Tunison, not Tennyson, like Lord Alfred, but no, uh, no, he never made it past double a. No. Yeah. It looks like he spent a couple of years in double a started in Eugene for the emeralds there. But yeah, never never got above double A. Overall, five seasons in the minors, a 251 average, uh, 314 on base, 63 stolen bases, but he was caught 38 times, 19 home runs. Hey, he looks like he just he's a, he looked like an average A single A player. Uh, yeah, he did pitch in two games though in 1994 for the uh, Fort Myers Miracle and ended up with a 10.13 ERA. Not so good. Oh, hey, if you are a, a big Rich Tennyson fan, though, there is currently on eBay a lot of 25 Rich Tennyson cards for $13, uh, one of which is this card. So if uh, if that is it holds true, that means this card is worth like 50 cents to somebody. Well, I mean, I go. guess nobody's bid on it, so I guess it's really not worth that to anybody. But anyway, okay. Oh, well, here's a name that is familiar, but it's, it's not the one you're thinking of. Here he is, catcher for the Albany Colony Yankees, which I'm going to assume is a Yankees affiliate. It's uh, Kiki Hernandez. <laughs> but a different Kiki? Uh, well, Kiki, not Kike. This is K-I-K-I. Now, I think this guy might have made the major leagues. For some reason, this name sounds familiar. 
This is not Enrique, right? No, this is not the Enrique that is still playing today. No. <laughs> All Baseball Reference wants to do is show us Kike Hernandez. Uh, this name seems very familiar to me. Like he came up for just a cup of coffee. And I think it was with the Yankees, but I must be mistaken because he cannot be found on the internet. And if uh, we assume that Kiki was uh, was short for Enrique, we're gonna get we're gonna end right back up at Kike Hernandez. Uh, Mark has <laughs> tracked him down. Uh, he's tracked him down. Did not appear in the majors. Uh, overall, eleven years he kicked around playing for such teams as the Thunder Bay Whiskey Jacks. Uh, which, if you're a big Youngblood fan, movie fan, and you know Thunder Bay is where uh, where they have a hockey team that uh, they give a cheap shot to Youngblood. Whole, per- whole thing in the movie. But uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's my favorite. Ho- it's my second favorite hockey movie because Miracle is one of the greatest oh. movies, period, of all time. Miracle rules. Make me if cry. You, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Miracle, watch. Just watch Miracle. Oh, my I don't gosh. even care if you don't like hockey. Or, or, yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible. But look at this team that he was on. These are guys that were on that team that made the big leagues. Brad Osmus, Jesse Barfield, Russ Davis, Pat Kelly, Lyle Mouton, um, wow. Sterling Hitchcock, Domingo Jean. Uh, there are some guys here that definitely made the uh, made the big leagues with him. Wow. But yeah, nothing. Uh, so he never made the big leagues uh, and nothing on this card is going to help you out. Uh, he's got a real high hat, though. Not to be confused with uh, high ball or high pockets. He's just wearing a high hat. All right, uh, next you've got a pitcher for, uh, it looks like the, this is an Angels farm club, the Midland Angels. It's Dave Adams. So uh, Dave Adams, likewise, <laughs> did not make the majors. Uh, only four years in the minor leagues. Uh, didn't get higher than double A. Overall, 19-30 and 30 record with a 4.34 ERA. 412 innings pitched, 294 strikeouts, 170 walks. Beginning to see why he might not have uh, gotten too far. 1.48 whip, too. So, yeah. Made it further than I did. Yeah. Uh, All right. So, uh, let's see. Nothing there on that card. These guys do. uh, They're all very clean shaven. Uh, Here's somebody that made the big leagues. Ding, ding, ding. All right. We got somebody here for the Binghamton Mets, which I am going to not look up and just assume that that's the Mets AA Farm Club. It's Brooke Fordyce. I remember Brooke Fordyce. Catcher. Brooke Fordyce ended up 10 years in the big leagues, uh, spent four years with the Orioles, three with the Reds, two with the White Sox, and uh, one apiece with the Rays and the Mets. Let's look at his war, and his highest war was in 1999, uh, one year with the Chicago White Sox, I think, or no, is one of two years with the White Sox, and I think that's where I remember him most from. He scored a 1.9 war. With Chicago in 1999. Uh, So you will get on the board with the 1.9. Then on this card is going to help you out. And uh, yeah, but I mean, you're on the board. That that might be a winner uh, right there. It could be. I mean, there he is in black and white. Wow. Get this. In 2000, he was traded by the White Sox with a couple of minor leaguers to the Orioles for Harold Baines and Charles Johnson. Wow. Yeah. Those are two. I mean, obviously one Hall of Famer, but Charles Johnson was... Boy, when he came up with the with the Marlins, he was, uh, you know, it was a big thing. Very nice. All right, so you're on the board. Uh, next, you've got a pitcher for the Carolina Mudcats, one of the great minor league hats. Pirates AA Farm Club at this point, Stan Fansler. All right, I got him. He's got a mustache, uh, so you're going to get that. And he did appear in the big leagues. 
one year in 1986, and he had a .2 war. So that's going to help. Plus, he's got a mustache. It's a little, like, uh, 16-year-old wispy thing, but it's a mustache. Nothing else in the cards can help you out. Uh, That one year he played for the Pirates in 1986, he appeared in five games and took three losses. I mean, he started all five of them, but uh, let's see. 24 innings pitched, 20 hits, 13 strikeouts, 15 walks, and a uh, a whip of 1.4, and an ERA plus of 104. So he was statistically better than the average in 1986 with those numbers. That's just crazy. Yeah. Way to go, Stan Fansler. Ah, he's uh, since gone on to uh, work with his father-in-law making mining equipment. Hmm. So there you go. All right. Well, you're on the, you know, you've got two uh, two on the board there. Uh, your next card, this is a name uh, of players that have certainly made the big leagues. Whether or not this is the one that made, you know, the big leagues, it's Jose Hernandez. Here he is with the Canton-Akron Indians, which I'm going to guess is Cleveland. Yeah, this is the one. This is the Jose Hernandez that played for 15 years. Yep. Wow. Okay. So good for you. You've got uh, you've got a name here, Jose. Wow. Uh, For immaculate grid, this is a good guy to remember. Seven years with the Cubs, three with the Brewers, two with the Bucks and Cleveland, and then one with the Rocks, the Phils, Atlanta, the Rangers, and the Dodgers. Uh, he was an all-star once, that was in 2002, and his highest war was also from 2002, so this is a big score for you right here. A war of 4.5. What? Yeah, 4.5 plus he was an all-star, so that's just five straight up there. Here he has got a great mustache, like a fantastic mustache, and he's got real stirrups on, so that'll be an extra three-tenths of a point for you. You're going to beat my score from just a, a regular 2000 pack from last week. Well, I've had two big leaguers so far. Let's see. At one point, he was traded for Heathcliff Slocum if you got him. Oh, man. I can name you some other people that were traded for that guy. <laughs> also traded for Kenny Lofton and Aramis Ramirez one time. So, Oh, wow. Hernandez set a Puerto Rican Winter League record with 20 home runs during the 1997-98 season. Yeah, they don't play a lot of games. No. That's... 20 home runs is a bundle. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good amount there. All right, well, very nice work here at seven point five. You got two cards left. Uh, here is the Harrisburg Senators, who are the Expos uh, farm club at this point. Pitcher Reed Cornelius, didn't he host Soul Train? Is that that's the one guaranteed? Uh, Reed Cornelius, good news for you. Three years in the big leagues, two with the Marlins, and then part of a year with the Mets and the Expos. Uh, overall, his highest WAR, wow, in two thousand a point seven. Yes. So uh, you're going to get a positive there. Let's see. That was his final year in the big leagues. That was with Florida. We went 4-10 and ten with a 4.82 ERA, uh, 50 strikeouts, 50 walks. What? Uh, yeah, had a positive war and a, a 92 ERA plus, but a, a whip of 1.4, which seems to be a running, Man, uh, I guess. A running theme here. Uh, let's see. On this card, nothing is going to help you out there. But uh, you get a positive 0.7. That takes you up to 8.2. All right, your final card is somebody that definitely made the majors. Uh, Had a good career in the majors. Uh, Here he is for the Jackson Generals, who were the Astros double-A club at that point. It is closer Todd Jones. 
Oh, wow. See, we get some good cards. Todd Jones pitched for a good while. Yeah, this is our first guy in these minor league packs that we've had several times in the in the regular packs. Todd Jones, 16 years in the big eight with the Tigers, four with the Astros, two with the Rocks, and then one apiece with the Twins, Phils, Red Sox, Reds, and Fish. Let's see, uh, was an all-star only one time in the year 2000 with the Tigers. I'm going to guess that's probably his best year. Uh, also led the league in saves with 42 that year and came in fifth in the Cy Young voting. So wow. I guess that's probably the year. Let's see. No, not even close. In 2000, with those stats I just read off, he finished with a 1.2 war. But in 2005, with the Marlins, he scored a 3.0 war. Oh, very nice. That's uh, unexpected. Of course, Todd Jones. Uh, oh, wow. No mustache in this picture. Really? He's, he always had a good one, but no, nothing. I uh, got rooked. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he is wearing two and ones, though. Love the nickname Roller Coaster. That's. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure if he was Every a closer reason. for your team, there's uh, you're probably pretty familiar with that. Oh yes. First round pick overall by the uh, first round twenty sixth twenty seventh pick overall for the Astros in the eighty nine draft. Uh, at one point, was traded by the Astros with Brian L. Hunter, who we had last week, to the Tigers for Brad Osmus, Jose Lima, C.J. Nitkowski, and Daryl Ward. Uh, all right there, Mark, you have racked up a total of 11.1, which I think is the highest we've ever had. Uh, that's not so bad. Yeah, that's the highest we've ever had when when opening minor league packs. But all right, let's go ahead and uh, open up mine. Oh, by the way, did I even read the scores? It's 11 to 9. Uh, I am up by two currently. So yes. uh, see if we can keep that going. Uh, all right. So here we go. Let's see if I can uh, if I can beat an eleven point one. Uh, I'm going to start. Oh, I think this guy might have made the majors. John Hudek, pitcher for the Birmingham Barons, the White Sox Double A club. Oh yeah, I remember John Hudek. John Hudek is this? Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Oh wow. Six years in the big leagues. Four with Houston, two with Cincinnati, and then one apiece for the Mets, Atlanta, and the Blue Jays. Uh, let's see if we go by his best year of war, that is a 0.8. And that was in, uh, 1998 with the, uh, with the Cincinnati Reds. Wow. In 1999, he was traded to three different teams. In uh, 88, he spent, uh, time with the Mets and the Reds overall for his career, 10 and 15. Uh, he was a reliever, never had a start Had 29 saves, 201 innings, 206 strikeouts for his career. So not too bad. Uh, traded by the Astros to the Mets for Carl Everett in 1997. Hmm. And then uh, for in 1999, traded by the Reds to the Braves for Mark Wallers. Hmm. Likewise, I told you he was traded a lot. In uh, 98, go back one year, traded by the Mets to the Reds for pinch hit god Lenny Harris. <laughs> yes. That guy could roll out of bed and pinch hit. He was born to pinch hit. Yep. Oh, I re- I think uh, a lot of our listeners will remember this. In 1997, he was pitching to Brian Johnson with runners on with two strikes. Tony Pena, who was his catcher, called for an intentional walk before Hudek threw the pitch down the middle of the plate to strike out Johnson looking. I remember that. I've seen that footage every yep. once in a while. Yeah, there we go. Yep. All right. So uh, I'm on the board. Nothing on this card is going to help me out. Let's see here next. Oh, uh, well, we definitely know that this is a major leaguer. Here he is with the Charlotte Knights, who at this point were a Cubs affiliate, Steve Traxel. Nice. 
very patriotic card behind him. This is a stage photo, but there's an American flag that is blowing in the wind. So Steve Traxel, 16 years in Major League Baseball, eight with the Cubs, six with the Mets, two with the Orioles, and then one apiece with the Rays and the Blue Jays. Let's see, he led the league in two things. Uh, once in 97, he led the league in home runs given up. And then in 1999, he led the league in losses with 18. Wow. Yeah. He was uh, an all-star once and his best year war-wise, 2003 with the Mets, 4.4. Oh, wow. That beats any of my guys. That's a pretty good score. Uh, oh, just God. missed out on his, uh, his all-star year was 96 where he scored a 3.7. Nothing on this card is going to help me out at all. Well, I guess I'll just take my my 4.4 and and deal with it. I I can't be mad at 5.2 after two cards. Man. Uh, Oh, wow. This is a great pack. I'm not going to lie. Here with the Knoxville Blue Jays, which I think was the California Angels AA club. Not sure. I'm joking, of course. It is from down under Graham Lloyd. Not a lot of Grahams. In, in baseball I, history. I remember he uh, he pitched for the Yankees when they were going to the World Series a lot. Yeah, two World Series titles for Graham Lloyd. Ten years in the big leagues, four with the Brewers, three with the Yankees, two with the Expos, one apiece for the Royals, Mets, Fish, and Toronto. Uh, let's see, overall 30 and 36 over his career. Really a setup guy. 17 saves in 568 games over his career, and his best war season was only a 1.6. I mean, I guess they're, you're a middle reliever. Uh, I'll I'll take my 1.6. That was in uh, 1996 with Milwaukee. Didn't win any awards, but did win two World Series rings, both with the Yankees. Let's see. He was uh, involved in trades with Pat Listash, Bob Wickman, Gerald Williams, Ricky Bonus, Homer Bush, Boomer, David Wells. You know, David Wells, his nickname is Boomer. And wow, does that fit uh, seeing some of the comments he had at Old Timers Day. In New York last week. Uh, let's see. Also, Roger Clemens, Carl Pavano, Cliff Floyd, Wilton Guerrero. Man, I mean, he was he played for a long time. And, you know, he was one of those middle relievers that would get traded every year at the deadline and go to a contender. Yeah, he was a lefty reliever. He's got he had plenty of life. Yeah, I remember him as one of the first big leaguers that was from Australia. Yep. Yep. That was a big deal. So I'm at 6.8. My next card, I, I've broken my streak. I have not heard of this guy. Uh, with the London Tigers, which I think we can figure out who they're the affiliate for, Brian Warren. No big league, uh, no big leagues for Brian Warren. He did spend 14 years in baseball, though. Eight in the uh-huh. minors, five in Japan and China. So looks like uh, he played a couple of years for the Marines, the Chibalote. I'm wondering, was that Bobby Valentine's mm. club? No Bobby Valentine. But Julio Franco was on one of those teams with him. <laughs> well, of course he was. He's still on another team. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's see. He did make it up to double A. He played five seasons in double A, whereas a pitcher, he went 16 and 13 with a 3.16 ERA. Don't see a lot of five double A season guys. No. I, or he, yeah, I mean, especially that have never made the big leagues. Right. Too bad for him. But you know what? He got to play baseball for... Almost two right. decades, so good for him. Uh, nothing on this card is going to help me out, though. All right, uh, go to the next one. Uh, let's see. With the Jacksonville Suns, does not tell me who they were. The Oh, Seattle Mariners. There we go. For some reason, all these others have the Major League logo on the back, but this one has the Suns logo on the back. Oh, and it says, this is a special card. Maybe that's why. 1991 batting champ, Jim Bowie. As a Mariners fan, do you remember Jim Bowie? I do remember Jim Bowie. Did he ever get called up? Looks like he did. 
I believe he oh. spent a little time in the bigs. Well, let's see. One year, 1994, with none other than in the Oakland Athletics, of course. Where oh, he appeared in six games, had 14 at-bats, three hits, two strikeouts. That's it. Uh, a 16 OPS plus and a war of minus 0.2. Uh, and he is, uh, he's where oh, he's wearing two and ones, but he's all got a mustache. So that'll wipe out there. Oh, wow. He was born in Tokyo, Japan. Hmm. And then, oh, wow, he went to high school at Armio in Fairfield, California, where if I had stayed through high school, would have been where I would have gone to high school. Wow, it's a connection. Yeah, look at that right there. So nothing else can help me there. That uh, knocks me down to 6.6. Oh, he's born in Tokyo. His uh, father was in the Air Force and his mother was Japanese. That makes sense. All right. Next, we've got a pitcher for the San Antonio Missions with the Dodgers double-A club, Mike Mims. Well, he played for three years in the big leagues, uh, all of it with the Phillies, 95 through 97. Uh, Let's see. Overall in those three years, 12 and 19 with a 5.03 ERA. His best year war-wise was definitely 1995, where he got a 1.2. His only positive war, but I'll take it. See, 9 and 7, 14.4. uh, 14.15 ERA, 35 games, had 19 starts, two complete games, one shutout, one save, 136 innings, 93 strikeouts, 127 hits, a 101 ERA plus, and the 1.2 war. Uh, Surprisingly enough, did not appear on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. You'd have thought he was a natural. All right, I got three cards left. I'm at a 7.8, you're at 11.1. I think this guy played, wow, all these minor leaguers had huge hats. Like they're hiding something underneath them <laughs> on top of their heads. Uh, but here we go. He's got a good mustache. I'll say that. Not too tense, but a good mustache. Ray Holbert. Holbert. I th- sounds familiar. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I remember him. Uh, yeah, he played for five years in the big leagues. Two with the Royals, two with the Padres, and then split time with Montreal and Atlanta. Didn't play a whole heck of a lot. His high for games was 63, and then after that, 34. So not a lot of playing time. And his best season war-wise was zero. Well, he's negative. <laughs> his first year, he, he had a 0.0 war. Then it went minus 0.4, minus 0.1, minus 0.2, minus 0.1, minus 0.1. So I guess I'll take it, right? I mean, it's I'll get a tenth of a point for a mustache. But uh, <laughs> that's right. Let's see. Uh, yeah, he didn't really do a whole heck of a lot. He had two home runs in uh, 1995 and five RBI. Uh, that is about it. He was traded oh, by the Padres to the Houston Astros for the other Pedro Martinez. <laughs> All right. So I've got two cards left. Uh, I need some help. I'm 7.9. I'm not sure if uh, New Britain Red Sox outfielder Bruce Chick is the guy to do it, though. Bruce Chick. Yeah, did not make the majors. Overall, spent six years in the minors. He did play one season at uh, AAA in Pawtucket in 1993. He hit 305 there with two home runs. Uh, That was in only 29 games, had 12 RBI. Hmm. Not too bad, but yeah, did not not make it out of the minors and only played in the minors. And uh, yeah, no no Seinfeld for Bruce Chick either. Nope. Uh, Nothing on this card is going to help me out either, so... I am I am down, let's see, 3.2 with one card left. Uh, we've only pulled one card that is <laughs> equal to that. So h- hopes are not high, but let's see if uh, his teammate, uh, New Britain Red Sox pitcher, Tim Smith, can help. 
Tim Smith. Oh, there might be a few of those. Yeah, well, none of them played in the big leagues. I'll, uh, I'll tell you that. Uh, Tim <laughs> Smith played for nine seasons in uh, professional baseball, uh, eight here in the States, and then uh, one in, uh, or actually two in Canada in the Quebec League. He was even playing as late as 2015. Wow. So he was only 29 at that point. Was he six in this card? What? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But uh, he did not make the big leagues, which is not good news for me because that's not going to get me any points. Nothing on this card is going to help out either. All right. So that's it. No, no, uh, no soup for me. Well, I had it took a minor league game to do it, but I got back on track. Well, you won you two in a row now. I ended up with 7.9, you with an 11.1. So now, see, that was not that bad. We got some good, uh, we got some, uh, yeah. some players that we haven't pulled in our regular packs. That we talked about know. a few guys we hadn't talked about before. Yeah. So, all right. So there you go. Uh, you are now uh, one behind me. The score is 11 to 10. Like, we're getting down. Well, we we're playing to 20, but it's it's neck and neck. Uh, all right, so that's going to wrap up this uh, edition of Wax Packs Heroes. That's also going to do it for this week's show. So uh, thank you very much for tuning in. You can find us on the internets. We are at Two Strike Noise, TWO Strike Noise. You can find all of the links in the show notes. Now, Mark, two weeks ago, uh, I, I had made mention of the show notes, and I had written something in the show notes where I said, hey, if you're reading this, Drop us a line and uh, tell us your name and we'll give you a baseball nickname. Uh, oh, nice. Nobody contacted us. Oh, of all the nerve. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you never know what could be in those show notes. I might put Mark's home address or his phone number in there. So, uh, you know, maybe check him out. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy prank calls. Please. You're <laughs> happy if anybody calls you. But, uh, Mark, we also have another way that they can get a hold of us. You want to tell them about that? Yeah, it's kind of the old-fashioned way. It's called Gmail or Gmail. You can write to us at Two Strike Noise. Spell it out, T-W-O, Strike Noise, at gmail.com. All right, so there you go. Another episode, another week. Uh, you know, 227 is streaming on uh, Netflix. Uh, I don't know about Netflix, but on Hulu. So uh, if you want to catch up on that, and uh, maybe we'll talk about it again next week. But uh, until then, we will see you on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. 